If you could have a conversation with anyone in history, what would you ask them? Hello, General Washington. Good day, Miss Tubman. I had to know, so I decided let's give them a call. Welcome to the Calling History Podcast. I'm Tony Dean, and today we'll be calling history to speak with Major John Andre. He'll be answering our call on October 1st, 1780, one day before his execution as a spy. If you've been listening to some of the other podcasts, you've heard Major Andre's name mentioned several times, because he's the link between a host of characters and events that could have completely changed the trajectory of the American Revolution. For example... When you listen to the podcast with Benedict Arnold and hear of his plans to weaken the defenses at West Point and then provide maps of the fortress to the British, well, he passed those secret documents to John Andre, who attempted and failed to transport those papers to the British forces. Had Benedict Arnold's skullduggerous activities succeeded, it could have cut the American forces in half, making it unlikely that they could win the Revolutionary War. And let's not forget that Arnold's wife, Peggy Shippen, had a close relationship with Major Andre. He gave her a locket of his hair. Was that relationship romantic? Did she facilitate the meeting between Andre and her treasonous husband after being charmed by Andre? Maybe, maybe not. Well, I'll tell you, this conversation with Major Andre will tie all of those conversations together. Plus, he'll tell you the story of the three men that captured him, and he'll make a compelling argument as to why he was not a spy, even though he was dressed in plain clothes and running across the American landscape with treasonous documents in his possession that only a spy would carry. It's a fascinating story from a very charismatic man that makes you wonder if he's telling the truth so close to death or if he's the master of persuasion. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow history lovers and poets everywhere, I give you John Andre. Hello, is that you, Major Andre? Yes, it is. Sir, it is a pleasure to speak with you today. My name is Tony Dean, and I'm talking to you from the future in the 21st century. The device that you're holding in your hand, it's called a smartphone, and it allows us to speak as if we were sitting in the same room with one another. It also allows me to share a recording of our conversation with people around the world, and I was hoping that I could ask you some questions but before I do, I understand this is a very strange introduction, especially considering the predicament that you're in right now. Are there any questions that I could answer for you first? Well, I'd like to start by saying that I was hoping you had issued me a pardon from General Washington, but I see that is not the case. You know, I did speak with Washington a while back ago, and although there's a lot of people in our government, uh, people like Hamilton, uh, that think maybe your punishment is unjust... I don't think Washington's going to let this one go. Well, I, I did make a request of him that I, I could share with you later. But yes, unfortunately, my predicament is I have just received a death sentence. I would like to ask you at some point who won the war, but I don't know if I want to know at the moment. What do you think is going to happen based on the direction things are going? Well, I'll say to you this. Everyone has grown tired of this conflict. General Arnold in particular, which is why he offered his services to the crown. If you think about it, New York City has been in our possession for the entirety of the war. Washington has unsuccessfully tried to take it. 
the South is falling. Uh, people have grown weary. You all seem to think that independence is something that everyone was on board with. But in reality, it is only a small percentage of your population. After all, you're attempting to separate from the greatest empire in the world. Well, let me ask you about that. So when you're talking about only a small percentage of people in the colonies are looking for independence, I got to be honest with you, that's very confusing in my time because in my time, the story we get is that you've got all these Americans and they're running through the streets and they're fighting to the death for independence. And there is nothing more important than independence. Everything is second to that. And that's not what you're seeing. You have a Continental Congress that does not have the authority to legislate and let alone declare their independence. These representatives claim to be representatives of the people, but I will tell you that not all of the people of New York, which we have possession, are in favor of this independence. They have much to lose when we do in fact win this war. I've often thought when I think of people having a lot to lose, are you familiar with John Hancock? Yes. I never could understand why John Hancock, with probably more to lose than most of the people on the American side, I couldn't understand why he was willing to risk so much. He was so wealthy and had a thriving business. But then when I spoke with him, he actually made it very clear that it's true that he had a lot to lose, but he felt that the pressure that England was putting on his businesses through taxes, and they were just more than he could bear. Tony, there have been several taxes implemented by Parliament. Let's take, for example, the Stamp Act. The colonists rioted throughout the streets, threatened tax collectors, and what did Parliament do? They repealed they, uh, it. They repealed it. Yeah, they repealed it. And then after, there were the Townsend duties. What happened to the Townsend duties? They were rescinded. It seems every single tax that has been protested against has been eliminated. There, of course, was the three-penny tax on tea, and then the colonists responded by doing what? Destroying crown property. And, of course, Boston was punished for that crime. There have been instances where we've asked the colonies to pay for their fair share of the French and Indian War. After all, they did benefit from that war. Men like Washington... They certainly benefited. That makes sense. You make a good argument because he definitely did benefit from that. A lot of people did. From your view, what do you think the colonists are expecting? Does it appear to you that the colonists are just not willing to pay their fair share for what parliament is giving them, whether that is protection? Oh, yes, or... of course. Yes, we've. they have been provided with protection from the greatest army and navy. They trade freely on the high seas under the flag of Great Britain. Why is it do you think they can bring their ships wherever they'd like without being molested on the high seas by our enemies? It is because of that very flag. That costs money, Tony. Someone has to pay for that. Our citizens in Great Britain pay these duties. They must pay. The colonists must also pay. It's a hard thing to argue with. Where are you right now? Well, currently I am imprisoned at the Maybe House in Tappan, New York. I have been held here for the last several days after my capture in Tarrytown by three local, we'll call them militia. They stopped me uh, along the road and apprehended me. I had just left the headquarters of General Arnold. So I've been here. I was tried and now I await 
my execution. So you're actually being held right now. Your execution is coming. And you had mentioned these three militiamen that captured you. That's correct. And I understood that they captured you in plain clothes. And I've heard both sides of this. I've heard that these are proud militiamen fighting for the uh, the American cause. And I've heard that these were just thieves robbing you. Can you tell me what actually happened? Most certainly. I was traveling on the Albany Post Road in what is Tarrytown, New York, in the county called Westchester. Westchester County was called a no man's land, a, a neutral territory, where you never knew which side the locals would take, depending on the day who was who seemed to be winning the war. So you do not know who to trust and who not to trust when traveling. And I was traveling alone. At that point, my guide, uh, provided by General Arnold, Joshua Het Smith, had left me in a place called Pinesbridge. So I had ventured alone, uh, found my way to Tarrytown. I was traveling on horseback when a man stepped into the road and leveled a musket at my breast. There were two others along with him. They appeared out of the woods and taken me by surprise, and one of them was wearing a Hessian coat. You're familiar with the Hessians? Yes, I am. So uh, seeing a Hessian coat, I asked them, gentlemen, are you members of our party? What I meant was, are you members of the lower party, or are you a member of the upper party? See, New York was divided. We controlled the city, of course, but the upper area in the Hudson Highlands and further north, outside of Westchester County, was in possession of the Continental Army. The man in the Hessian coat replied that he was of the lower party. Therefore, I assumed that he was a friend, and I identified myself as a British officer. Once I had done so, he then changed his story and said that he was an American along with his two fellow soldiers. Well, then immediately I thought, well, I must produce then Arnold's pass. Arnold had provided me with a pass to move safely throughout the neutral territory. And once I showed him the pass, he did not uh, take that pass as valid and ordered me to dismount my horse. And one of the other men grabbed the reins of the horse so that I could not take off. So I had no choice. The musket was leveled at me. They grabbed the reins of my horse and I could not do anything else. So they took me off my horse. I tried to tell them that I am providing services for General Arnold and that they should not detain me any longer and allow me to go on my way. They would bring themselves great trouble. They did not oblige. They brought me into the woods. I did not know what was coming next, where they were going to shoot me. I had no idea what they were going to do, but whatever they were going to do, they did not want it to be in full view of anyone traveling on that road. So they ordered me to turn out my pockets for what reason? I know not. I only had a few coins on me, given to me by Smith, if I needed any provisions. I did have a watch that I did show them that was gold and when I identified myself as an officer, so perhaps they wanted that, I did not know. And then they ordered me to remove my coat, my cloak, my hat, and then they ordered me to remove my boots. I did, and then my stockings and beneath my stockings. There they discovered the papers that I had been carrying from General Arnold. And once they figured out what those papers were, they declared me a spy. Now, I do not know why they would take me and ask me to remove all my clothing. 
it was very peculiar to me. I did have a pass from General Arnold that they ignored. I offered them anything they'd like. I did offer them my horse. I did offer them the watch if they would allow me to continue on my way. They asked me what I would give them, and I said, whatever you would like. In fact, I said, you can even go to my commanding officer, Sir Henry Clinton, and he will bring you whatever rewards you would like. They, they must have deemed the reward for my capture greater than that for my release. So then they decided to keep me in their custody and bring me to a superior officer. So are you thinking perhaps that when they took you in the woods and, and they were searching you, hoping not to be seen, that had they found something on you that was spendable, such as some sort of coin or something valuable, m maybe they would have just robbed you and killed you? I did not know. I will also say that I was wearing my officer's boots, which are worth a great deal of money to anyone who would take them, probably more than the salaries of all three of those captors put together. The watch, the boots, I did not know if I would ever see the light of day again, but they did not rough me up physically. They did not ever threaten my life, I will say that. They did not. But there was discussion of offerings, none of which they accepted. They were refused. So This all sounds very civil. This sounds like a negotiation. I mean, if you get caught, something bad's going to happen. You're going to be seen as a spy. Did you think about fighting? Uh, Tony, I will tell you that I had not slept very well over the last several days. I had come north aboard the Vulture September 21st, uh, waiting for some word of a meeting with General Arnold. It did not come. Then, finally, it did after midnight, and we had a very late meeting. And then, of course, Arnold's boatmen could not row me back out to my boat. We had met in Havestraw. Arnold refused to meet with me on board the Vulture because of an incident that had taken place several weeks prior. So I had to stay the evening at the home of Joshua Head Smith. Then the vulture was fired upon, and it retreated further downstream, which was the reason why I was traveling by land. And of course, while traveling by land with Smith, we were stopped. I had to stay another night in, an, in a local tavern in what is called Crompond. I had not slept for at least two to three nights. So I, I was exhausted and probably did not use my better judgment. So... There was the I, fatigue that had set in that affected my judgment and my thinking. I see that. Yeah, I, it makes sense. I mean, you're not at your best. If you don't get one night of sleep, you're not at your best. And to take three armed men on... And I was not armed either. Oh, you're not carrying a weapon at that point? I'm not carrying any weapon, no. I was out of uniform, and I was not offered a weapon by Arnold or by Smith. So they had me at an advantage. Okay, that makes sense. When you meet these men, you told them initially that you were uh, English. But then after that, did you tell them that you were American? Did you try to fool them? I did try to utilize Arnold's pass at that point because I realized I had made an, a, a grievous mistake believing that this person was a Hessian soldier. I should have known better, but like I had told you, I had been fatigued from loss of sleep over the last several nights. So yes, once they identified themselves as Americans, I thought that was the opportunity to produce the pass. I see. But now that you're telling two stories, they can't figure out which one is right, and so they got to take you to their superiors, basically. But first, they took me into the woods 
Right. <laughs> to see if they see if you have a whole bunch of to gold see, in your pocket. That is correct. You had said that Arnold uh, was supposed to meet with you, but he refused to meet with you because of an incident. What was the incident you were talking about? Yes, uh, General Arnold and I had been corresponding through letters for over a year with regards to him offering his services to the Crown. Finally, when we decided what the terms might be and what he would offer, I asked to have a meeting because we were not sure that it was in fact General Benedict Arnold that was offering his services. How could we be sure? This was Washington's fighting general, Tony. He had defeated us at Saratoga. He took Fort Ticonderoga without a shot. This this general could fight. So how could it be that he was offering his services to the crown? Well, we had to proceed with caution. So eventually, I convinced him to have a meeting. And we were supposed to meet further south in Westchester County on the Hudson River aboard the Vulture. This was my transport for our final meeting. And this was September 11th. And Arnold boarded a skiff. Our communication wasn't clear. I was waiting on shore. Arnold was heading out to the Vulture by skiff and our gunners mistakenly fired upon his transport capsizing General Arnold into the waters. So therefore, Arnold had to swim to safety. He was very upset. He he nearly lost his life. And because of that, he would no longer meet us or meet with me aboard the Vulture. Arnold is attracted to munitions (laughs) because they hit him in the leg a lot. And I can't even imagine them firing on this boat and sinking he's in a little rowboat or something. Yes, a transport. Okay. All right. And so that's why he wouldn't meet there anymore. But Arnold eventually ended up escaping on the vulture, leaving you behind. Is that right? That's what I've been told, yes. Tell me about General Arnold. You know, from our view of history, it you know looks like you guys met with him and he had a lot of complaints about how he was being treated. And yet, I've always thought, I can't even imagine approaching him, no matter what. Because as you said, he was Washington's fighting general. It's no wonder that these communications took a year, as you were saying, because you'd have to be so careful. It doesn't even make sense that he would switch sides. So when you first did meet with him, what was that like? That meeting, it was over a year in the making. And these communications were brought about with assistance from Margaret, Peggy Shippen. So after a year of toil and There had been some gaps in our communication, some stoppages in in communication. And finally getting to meet him, I'll tell you of that night, I remember it very well. I was lying in the bunk of my cabin aboard the Vulture, and I received a knock at the door. It was well after midnight. Of course, I was not asleep. And I was told that a barge had arrived, but that, of course, General Arnold was not in it. There was a guide with two boatmen. And they were to row me to shore at a place called the Long Clove in Haverstraw. Arnold assured me that this was neutral territory when I arrived. Took some time to row to the Long Clove. And there waiting in a thicket in the nearby firs was was General Arnold. And after nearly two years of toil, it was a pleasure to finally meet him and discuss the terms for his surrender. And I was certain. In fact, my commanding officer, Sir Henry Clinton, he said that Andre is leaving us 
and will no longer be plain old Major John Andre. But after success in this mission, we will be calling him Sir John Andre. So you can imagine my excitement that this was finally going to come to fruition. It was only a matter of, of the meeting and getting back to headquarters, and then we would launch an attack on West Point. I didn't realize how much was on the line for you. Perhaps some accomplishment like this might even be a bigger accomplishment than the next rank. Well, West Point was a very important fortress. Whomever controlled West Point controlled the Hudson River, also called the North River. It was a key supply line for and communication line with the New England colonies. If we were to take the fortress West Point, we would control the entire Hudson and we could divide and conquer the colonies. This would have been a fatal blow to the cause for independence. So what was your impression of General Arnold? Was he polite when you met him? Was he angry? Was he suspicious? Of course, there was some suspicion. There is a lot at stake for General Arnold. He is offering his services to the crown. And of course, when you betray your country, you yourself are probably going to be met with a certain level of distrust once you change sides because you did abandon the cause for which you were fighting. So General Arnold was very worried about payment. He wanted 20,000 pounds sterling for Fortress West Point and the forces there. And he wanted 10,000 pounds sterling in the event of failure to the mission. So he wanted to be indemnified for any losses he would sustain as a result of uh, his betrayal. And he wanted a rank of brigadier general. So he was quite insistent upon those terms. And of course, very, you know, very worried about being found out before the actual mission was complete. As you're communicating back and forth with him, did you find it difficult to convince him to make the switch? Or was he eager? He opened up the lines of communication, offering his services, either changing uniforms or working covertly behind the lines and offering his services that way. So it was he who offered those services and he who had, of course, had a change of heart and wished to end this conflict. It was very much his doing. I see. Well, and it makes sense too. If you received a letter from the other side saying, hey, if you send us 20,000 pounds sterling, we'll do something to help you out. You would assume that you were just going to pay them and they weren't going to follow through. So it would have to come from him first. I can see that. You had mentioned Peggy Shippen, his wife. Uh, In our time, there are people that say that you and uh, Peggy Shippen uh, were romantically involved. Is that correct? (laughs) That is not correct. Peggy was a great friend during my time in Philadelphia. When we were stationed in Philadelphia, we had wintered there when Washington was at Valley Forge. Peggy and I developed a friendship. We ran in similar circles. She was a bit uh, slightly younger than I was. Her father was very strict, a former Quaker, but I had a friendship with her. I did escort her to the theater, balls, dinner parties, cotillions. Certainly there were flirtations. People flirt, Tony. I I sketched her, of course, but there were other ladies in Philadelphia, Tony, that I also escorted to balls, dances, wrote poems in their honor, sketched their silhouette. So there were others that admired me as well. 
Peggy had her admirers. Tony, a gentleman does not share the details of any intimacy with a lady anyway, but I will tell you there was nothing to share. One of the reasons that people question this is because uh, there was a lock of hair that you gave to Peggy Shippen. And as I've learned more about you, it sounds like this is, in fact, I spoke with Peggy Shippen and she had said that you gave gifts like this to everybody because you were creative. As you're saying, you're a poet and you draw and, and all of these different things. Is that is that correct? I Absolutely. You give a part of yourself as a remembrance. So people think of you, they remember you, you are... After all, I am going off and I am fighting a war. You want people to be thinking of you and praying for you. Uh, giving tokens of remembrance certainly will help that. Can't hurt. Well, that seems pretty straightforward. Do you think that uh, General Arnold ever suspected that there was anything between the two of you? Rumor has it you're pretty good with the ladies. Well, he did get the girl. <laughs> I guess that's right. <laughs> you did get second place on that one, huh? That is correct. Let's uh, let's chat for a minute about uh, the situation that you're in right now. So you're imprisoned, and my understanding is execution date is tomorrow. And this is not the first time that you've been captured. Is that right? That is correct. It's funny that you brought up the execution. I had forgotten it, but now here we are. Uh, yes, I had been captured uh, during the siege of Quebec at St. John's in 1775. At the beginning of this conflict, I had been in the colonies for almost a year, had rejoined my regiment stationed in Canada and was taken at the siege at St. John's. And interesting, I will share something with you. They had, when I was taken prisoner, they had stripped us of everything. I did manage to salvage a sketch of Honora Snade, who I had been betrothed for marriage prior to my military career. And I was able to save that by hiding it in my mouth and preserving that. I did think myself fortunate. Of course, I did not marry Honora Snade. She had, she had taken a husband of more ample means after her father had broken off our engagement. In fact, that broken engagement was what led me towards my military career. But back to my captivity, I was taken prisoner, held for some time in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And captivity for an officer was, is quite different than for a soldier. We are given some latitude and allowed to travel within several miles radius of our captivity, allowed to interact with other fellow officers. So it was not hard labor, Tony. And this, You're not in a box with bars? You're walking freely around the area? No, sir. No. I, in fact, I, the family that I was staying with, I would tutor their children in drawing and sketching, write poems. Um, I was able to move freely. I just could not be a part of the conflict. Interesting. Mm. So you're not in, you're not locked away. No. No, this, this captivity is quite different. Currently, I am under heavy guard here at Tappan, as they fear that I may try to escape or that someone may try to liberate me. So the circumstances, although... I'm not doing hard labor. I am under heavy guard. They have been very respectful of my rank, and Washington has provided me meals from his own table, which is uh, his headquarters at the DeWint House, which is nearby. I'm amazed that this first time that you were captured, that 
you were not under heavy guard because certainly you're a trained officer and a trained officer is is dangerous and it is something polite about being english where if you capture somebody you you feed them well and and give them freedom to go about their business but not just fight is that an english thing i don't understand it's an understanding in warfare between gentlemen and officers are usually gentlemen so you would treat them as such do you think that the english are too polite in war well i'll say this that once I was given the position of adjutant general to Sir Henry Clinton, I've been advising Sir Henry in strategies to win this war. I will say that we should no longer be treating these rebels as if they were soldiers. They are traitors. They have taken up arms against their king. This war has gone on long enough. It is 1780. We've been fighting since 1775. Everyone is tired of this war. We need to start local where our friends are. In New York, for example, we have many loyalists that have fled to New York that are angry about the loss of their property and feel that they are being taken advantage of by the Continental Army. We have had several victories in the South. We need to bring Washington into a decisive action. Washington is a master at retreat. We've got to get him into a decisive action, and we've got to be decisive and maybe be less gentlemanly. So that sounds like you're saying yes. Yes, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> okay. I don't want to see more bloodshed. I, But if we do not make a decisive action, then this war will just linger on and on. And that is why this mission, this negotiation with Arnold was going to be that final blow so it wouldn't have to come to that type of warfare when we could still settle this like gentlemen. When I spoke with Arnold, that was the th one of the things that surprised me is that he believed that we call this treason or not treason, but the fact is that the war had to come to an end somehow, some way. There was just too much death and pain and struggle and it was just going on for too long and he's just finding a way to end the war. And I can see that. I can hear it in, in your words as well. It's like a civil war. You have families who disagree over whether they should be loyal to the king or side with the rebels. This goes from village to cities in these colonies. They are divided. Families are divided over this issue of independence. In our time, Washington is, he's our number one guy for the Americans. And he is, I have never, ever heard of Washington referred to as the master of retreat. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Well, Washington certainly was a master of retreat in New York in 1776 when he lost that city. He was nearly taken by, by Lord Howe. And had Lord Howe advanced, Lord Howe had Washington with his back to the East River. If he had only finished the assault, the revolution might have ended in 1776, but Washington was able to slip away under the cover of night and retreat through Manhattan. Washington has had some victories, but let's be honest, he's also had some costly defeats. Most definitely. So is Washington the right guy to lead the, uh, the American cause? Are his strategies sound based on who he's fighting? Well, Washington had General Benedict Arnold fighting for him, and Benedict Arnold 
was probably one of the better generals in that army. So if he knows how to utilize the services of men like that, then he is a good leader, knowing how to surround himself with officers of great skill. Would Benedict Arnold be a better leader for that army? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not willing to say that. But I was happy to see that Benedict Arnold was offering his services to our side after his battlefield reputation and record. I can't imagine Benedict Arnold leading a nation, but I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter what army you're fighting for. You want him leading that army, but I don't know if he's the guy to lead the country. That's a fair point. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now that I cleared that up about Washington, you'd mentioned much earlier in our conversation that you'd asked for, or you'd written a letter to Washington. I'd like to hear about that. Yes. I've corresponded with Washington on at least two occasions since my capture. At first, I gave a full confession as to my true identity. I identified myself as Major John Andre, Adjutant General to Sir Henry Clinton, and that I had entered into the lines of my enemy, and that I was hopeful for a negotiation for my release. Of course, he was unwilling to negotiate for my release. The second letter I have just written him, I have asked him if he would give me the the privilege of a professional death at my execution, and not that of a spy. And the difference between a professional death, I'm guessing this is rope or musket ball. Yes, I would be, I am reconciled to my fate, but it is the mode that I fear most. I do not want to be at the end of a noose tomorrow. I've asked General Washington to have me executed by firing squad. That is my hope. I have not yet received an answer. I am not certain he can comply with that request, but it is my great hope that he will do so. John Andre mentioned a ship called the Vulture many times. If this ship had not been attacked, Arnold would have given Andre the plans to West Point. He would have rowed back to the Vulture, and that would have been the end of it. Those plans would have made it to the English generals. They would have attacked a weakened West Point, allowing them to take control of that military fortress and the Hudson River, and thereby successfully cut the nation in half. If fate had not forced the vulture to retreat after being attacked, Andre wouldn't have had to try to sneak off in the middle of the night like a spy, even though he swears he was not acting as a spy. And then, of course, he wouldn't have been caught by these three militiamen who, despite their honorable intentions and patriotism, they still took Andre into the woods and nearly stripped him naked just to be sure that he didn't have something on him more valuable than information. Some scholars laugh at the fact that these three militiamen were seen as heroes when, in fact, they may just have been scoundrels on the side of the road looking to rob people that would pass by, and they just got lucky. In the next episode, you're going to hear a little bit about the trial prior to Andre's execution and how, after being captured, he was released and allowed to return to Benedict Arnold's home until Benjamin Talmadge stepped in and was thinking there was something suspicious and then sent a horse to chase Andre down before he could escape. I'm glad you're enjoying this podcast. If you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you at the next episode of Calling History with Part 2 of John Andre. 